This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Now, for parents with school-age children, the coronavirus has made this back-to-school season anything but routine. And for many students, virtual learning is the default instruction method. So today, we're going to take a look at distance learning in public schools with our guest, John Crayman, Chief Information Officer for the Department of Education and Ridgeland High School Counselor, Shamika Hawkins. Plus, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us how you're preparing for distance learning or how it's going so far. Now, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Good morning, Tara. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? A little rainy, a little wet, but um, it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. <laughs> it is, it is. Can you briefly tell us, uh, before we get started with uh, John, uh, how the Education Department is helping teachers, parents, and students with this virtual learning? Well, first of all, I'd like to say our website has um, so much information. We have an MPB at Home Learning webpage there at MPB at education.mpbonline.org. So we encourage everybody to go there. There are resources for and information for teachers, parents, and students there. In addition, we do have the Digital Education Network, which we've talked about here on the show, which allows teachers to instruct students from a distance. And schools, schools can get involved. They can sign up for that. They can call us about that, and they can learn more about that at our website as well. And then there's the PBS Learning Media, which is a digital learning library with thousands of lessons that support what's being taught in the classroom. And a good thing about it, it is tied to PBS program that's on television. So, for example, if a child watches Pig Plus Cat or Ken Burns' history documentary, there are lessons tied to that that teachers don't have to put oh. together. So pbslearnermedia.org has all of those lessons and interactives that's, you know, aligned with state standards and things like that. So that's a great resource for teachers and for parents. All right. And I then like the that. last thing that we have, we've done is created with MDE. We created a new CEU course for teachers, how to, how to work in a distance learning environment. So... I think today is the last day to register for that. Teachers always need CEUs, and this is a great class for this time. Now, let's talk about that last point you said clearly so people can hear and understand. Of course, teachers need a continuing education um, points, and this is a good way to get those and learn something. So uh, tell them again what that um, project is about and the last day to register and how can they register. Well, today is the last day to register. Actually, I think it was yesterday, mm. but since we're on the show today, I'm going to say today is the last <laughs> day, and hopefully my um, the team won't get me too bad. But it's how to teach in a distance learning environment. That's the name of the course. Teachers will, who sign up get three CEU. Um, credits for it and it, it'll start on in just a few days and it's four weeks long and they can go at their pace at oh. their time and we did work with the Department of Education to create and develop this class and it was vetted very well. I want to take it myself it seems like a lot of fun so we encourage teachers once they get settled if it's not this time we'll offer it again in a few more weeks so just Wonderful. um 
and you can they can get to it from our website, education.mpbonline.org. That is wonderful. Since we all need help, parents, we need, you need to do one for parents. We yeah. need help as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, later in the show, we'll discuss what teachers, parents, and students need to know about digital learning, and we'll even have tips for virtual classroom etiquette, which is very, very important with our guest, high school counselor Shamika Hawkins. But now let's welcome our first guest to the show, John Craman, Chief Information Officer for the Department of Education. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you doing, Michelle? Doing fine, doing fine. And Tara Wren, Director of our Education Department, is here with us as well. Hi, John. Good morning. Good morning. Well, John, I know you, to say the least, have your hands full in your department since this pandemic hit our country. But before we start talking about how it affected uh, education in Mississippi, tell us a little bit about you and your role with the Department of Education. Sure. Uh, I started at the department in March of 2018. Uh, I've been working in the education field um, since well, about 20 years ago, and I've been working in state education agencies since 2011, and this is the third agency I've worked for across the country. And my role as a chief information officer is to oversee the Office of Technology and Strategic Services, and it works on helping with technology, data, um, other processes, analytics of data. Um, we put out our Mississippi Succeeds Report Card every year, uh, and we are responsible really to make sure that the data that we have um, is of high quality, that the data we need is obtained, and that we can turn that into useful information and share that with the world while helping the districts work through the mechanical problems of uh, and challenges related to um, IT and, and data. Wow, you, you have your hands full, like I said, at the beginning of the show. When you first started with MD, had your department ever really discussed distance learning in public schools, or were you getting prepared maybe for something like this, or had you not even thought about, okay, shutting other schools face-to-face and parents and teachers and students will have to do distance learning? Well, sure. I think that uh, on the one hand, I don't believe anybody anticipated uh, the impact or COVID and its impact on schools. So digital learning, uh, in a way, has always been uh, in most places or most states, most districts, has been an offering for students who, for whatever circumstances, prefer to work at home, are able to work at home, are comfortable working at home and doing online learning. I know a lot of colleges, for instance, have moved in that direction. And, also, of course, companies um, you know, have telework policies. So it's been on people's radar for a while. And obviously the, you know, the availability of Internet and the availability of equipment and software, for instance, is always part of that story. Um, but it was not anticipated that we would be going statewide um, you know, as, as quickly as, as and abruptly as it happened um, earlier this year. So let's go back to March. March 2020, when the pandemic first hit, what and how did your department initially respond to the school closings? Well, obviously, there's a lot that had to happen from um, within MTE and the state board related to the policies around accountability and assessment, um, attendance, and so forth. So there was a lot of rapid response on the part of the agency that that we were involved in, um, but most of the work really was from a policy perspective on how to address. Um, the framework of, a, of accountability and other related policies on the districts because of the impact to make sure that the, the districts were remaining compliant. In addition to, it was about trying to get information out to schools, to families, uh, on how to uh, respond to being at home suddenly um, uh, across the state. So a lot of the work really was about you know, immediate addressing, immediately addressing the critical needs related to 
um, the, the policy framework around our education system, but also then providing as much useful information as possible to the people who are trying to respond at the local level to to the disruption of COVID-19. Well, John, talk a little bit about how your department was affected. How What changes did you have to make then, and, and what changes are you currently making in adjustments? Well, sure. Well, if, if, if I focus sort of within the Office of Technology and Strategic Services, uh, a lot of the adjustments initially were around uh, the reporting requirements and the accountability requirements that districts face. As I mentioned at the start, you know, we work with districts to make sure that they, the data are coming to us, are meeting all of their obligations and all of our obligations for uh, reporting, accountability, and so forth. So our initial response was to adjust um, to what the policy framework and accountability framework around that data relationship that we have with districts. And that's where my team was spending a lot of the early days trying to make sure that we could help the districts understand the impact of the COVID-19 disruption on the work that they did directly with you know, on the data and technology side. But quickly, we started to move uh, into what comes next? Because we could not sort of, this was, this was, you know, we became very clear pretty soon, very quickly, that this was going to be a, a continuing disruption uh, to our world, to our lives, to our schools, to our education system. And so we began working at the end of March and into April, and we released at the end of April, on April 24th, a digital learning, uh, distance learning uh, district guidance document that mapped out um, ways of beginning to break the problem down and to think about the various pieces and questions that needed to move forward from a technology perspective, from a software perspective, from a, from a professional development perspective, and thinking through how to adjust the challenges around teaching in a digital learning environment for, for students, for their families, for teachers, et cetera. So we began to adjust our thinking uh, pretty quickly away from the immediate impact of COVID toward what does the planning and um, strategic thinking need to look like to help schools get ready for the new school year. And that was a lot of that work was really done in conjunction with the academic side of the agency and so forth. So there was a lot of different moving parts within MDE to help map that guidance out. And, and we continue to put out information on a regular basis on how we can support tr- districts and schools and students and teachers uh, to adjust to, to the new requirements or the new challenges related in the uh, to COVID in the 2020-21 um, school year. Right. And you, you, we're going to talk about the Equity um, in Digital Learning Act in just a little bit, but you talked about that meeting of the minds and coming together and having to figure out what's important, what's, what, what is needed. Who, what were some of the biggest factors that played in those decisions coming up with this uh, digital learning plan? Well, if you think about breaking down uh, and again, this is getting into an area that touches more than just the technology side. But as you begin to think about the experience of education, what it looks like with a teacher and a student in the classroom, and then relocate them to other other places where they're not in the same space, thinking about what it begins to look like. How does a student um, interact with that teacher? And how do we think about uh, any challenges to that, whether it be because of the Internet connection is not there or there's not a device or software working or there isn't really content available to that student? How do we begin to adjust life in education towards the, the future state? And so the big considerations really were about, um, first and foremost, equity. Uh, the second one was about quality. And the third was to continue to drive forward with the improvements that we've seen over the last um, many years. So in the last decade or, or you know, seven to ten years, 
there has been a massive increase in quality of education as measured by the National Assessment of Education Progress, the National Report Card, or the Nation's Report Card, that Mississippi is the fastest-growing state in terms of improvements in fourth grade and eighth grade uh, reading and mathematics. So we were very mindful of the fact, and I believe that uh, Governor Reeves, when he first issued his executive order to shut the school down, said the biggest heartburn about that or the biggest heartache about that was the fact that we've been doing so great in improving education for Mm -hmm. all Mississippi students. You know, our challenge really was about how to think about keeping that going in the midst of um, this, you know, of course, unprecedented and unexpected or uh, uh, disruption to our schools. You're right. Now, before we go to break, I, I do want to ask you, what were some of the key technical issues that had to be addressed before moving forward with this new school year? Sure. Well, I think that there's, as I mentioned, there are really four, maybe five key components to this. One is, from a technology perspective, is does a student have an Internet connection? And the same is true for the teachers as well, right? right. And they, they live at home uh, in homes that may or may not uh, be readily connected to the Internet. So that's the first one. The second one is there a device that you can work on. What are you actually using at home to connect through the Internet to school? The third piece is do you have the software that enables you to manage content? And lastly, do you actually have the content? Those are the technology as a pieces. And then wrapped around all of that is the fifth element, which is the key around training and support. So how are we helping teachers, as we always do, and as you mentioned earlier um, on this on this um, on the session that we're in, in, the, in it, right right now about how do you provide the professional development and training for teachers? That is an ongoing concern in any circumstances. But what is the additional challenge related to professional learning that may really bring teachers and students into a new environment that they're not used to and haven't really been trained on or are comfortable in? So how do we help grow their strength, their capacity, their confidence, uh, and having the raw materials and the other resources they need to be able to effectively teach and effectively learn in digital learning. So those are the big things that we always have to be thinking about. And that's really where the, the law, the education, I'm sorry, the equity in digital learning act uh, comes into play. We're going to talk about that act, break it down and talk about those devices and the distribution of those devices when we get back. If you have a question for John Crayman, Chief Information Officer with the Department of Education or you have a, just a tech question about um, how you're moving forward throughout this digital learning semester, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology or tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Good morning and thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio, Inside Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, today we're taking a look at distance learning with our guest, John Crayman, Chief Information Officer with the Department of Education. Now, if you have a question or comment for the show, feel free to join the conversation at one 672 
1-800-242-5464. Now, John, before the break, uh, we said we were going to come back and talk about the Equity in Distance Learning Act. Can you break that um, act down and tell us what it entails and where are you right now um, with the distribution of devices for the state? Sure. Uh, so the EDLA <laughs> is an unprecedented piece of legislation. The legislature uh, enacted this law uh, about six weeks ago. It became law, and it includes $150 million to help stand up digital learning across the state. And so it walks through a series of priorities to work the districts with the districts to help them get in place um, a, a sort of state-level uh, procurement support to help them get the best pricing and availability. Uh, and it walks through um, a series of priorities, and it begins with the device, getting the devices into the hands of the students. The second piece is about the software, which is referred to as a learning management system uh, that, that teachers can use to interact with their students and provide them with materials, resources, gather assignments, and so forth. And then the next piece is about connecting them to the Internet. And then it gets into areas around professional development, security, and then it leaves uh, if there are any additional remaining dollars to help uh, further the efforts in the part of the districts and schools for the safety and the health of their schools um, as the facility side of, the, of this equation. So the, the Act, um, the EDLA, um, again, lays out uh, how we are going to structure this. And so that, again, passed six weeks ago. And uh, we have executed now uh, two contracts with uh, Apple and a company called CDWG to provide nearly 180,000 devices across the state to help them um, on, the, on the side of the uh, non-Apple products and then another 50,000 units uh, to help the districts um, that are Apple, Apple environments. So these programs then stand up a chance for us to tackle a couple things. One of them is, as you can imagine, everyone in the country and everyone in the world that needs a device is now competing for a limited supply chain. So one of the biggest issues is logistics and timeliness. School is starting now, and these devices have yet to be ordered from the individual district side, but we have placed the orders with the manufacturers to make those devices available as soon as possible. So part of what our program is going to do is to look at how to expedite and accelerate the delivery of devices to our schools. So, John, what's... The second thing it does... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask a follow-up question to something you just said. Um, with sure. school having been started already and the um, devices have not been ordered, what is the expectation of students and teachers um, with that delay? Sure. Well, so there's two parts of that. One is, as the law anticipates, the districts are working right now on applications to us to qualify and establish your eligibility to receive reimbursement for the devices. The second thing we did was, as I mentioned, set up contracts with vendors to supply the devices. So once the districts get their approval, and that process is now open for them to submit applications to us for their eligibility, and that window remains open until September 1st, and then they'll have another 10 days to place the orders. So those devices will start rolling in later in September and through the month of October, um, and possibly, depending on supply chain, maybe at the very beginning of November. So your question is then is if those devices aren't arriving until next month of the earliest and possibly as late as the end of October, beginning of November, what do schools need to do? And so there are two parts of that. One is that there are schools that currently have devices. And this is not true across the whole state and not true for all students. But there are schools have, schools that have devices have distributed them or are distributing them to students. The second thing is then is 
how as part of their digital learning plan and anticipating of the restart of school, right, districts have to figure out the accommodations for what are we doing now and what do we do then when the devices arrive and then what do we do once the devices are in the students' hands. So this is a complex set of challenges that the districts are working through and the schools are working through now to think through or this stage to implement their plans to ensure that education continues just as it did in March and April and May to make sure that education continues for their students as these new uh, resources are arriving in their schools. And then, of course, then how do you adjust either because of the, the rise of COVID or the decline of COVID in a particular district or school, as well as then with the arrival of these devices. So how are they adapting? I think the second thing I would say, or the third thing I'd say about that is that part of what we're also doing is to stand up professional development for teachers. And we are moving aggressively to get that training. And, uh, and Tara mentioned earlier at the start of this interview about the resources that you all are making available and the courses that you're making available. We're going to be similarly standing up additional professional development opportunities to help teachers and students and parents adjust to the new software, the new hardware, and the way of delivering instruction through a digital learning program. So those are the pieces that are moving forward now. But it is it is not a, an ideal timeline, but it is just part of the challenges that we're and, of course, the districts and schools are working through as well. All right. Well, John, now I know uh, Mississippi Today put an article, out an article yesterday about Cleveland School um, District and mm-hmm. um, having an issue receiving the laptops because of the Chinese human rights violations. Is that part mm-hmm. of the reason of the holdup of the receiving of the um, devices or purchasing of the devices? That particular issue does not impact or is not related to our program. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned before, the law, uh, EDLA, became law six weeks ago. And so we've been moving aggressively to to, to design and implement uh, this program, our digital learning program, to implement EDLA. But in the meanwhile, districts have, um, going back to the beginning of this crisis, have been ordering devices and making other plans and arrangements as they've gone, and they've been doing them as individual districts. One of the challenges that we've seen here at the state level is on this issue of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So for districts that have placed orders, uh, again, you cited Cleveland, um, that, that according to the article, right, that their devices were caught in customs because of the civil rights issue, or sorry, the human rights issue in China. We are working aggressively with our partners constantly, I mean, almost on a daily basis, of talking about supply chain. How do we make sure that we are covering it? How do we make sure that we are uh, preparing to adjust if something gets disrupted? How are we looking for opportunities to find a way to accelerate the arrival of devices? So, for instance, we're working arrangements to ensure that as many of the devices that we're getting are being airshipped to the United States rather than shipped on a boat, right? So that's going to speed things up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second thing is we're also working the contractors, the vendors to do, is to ensure that we have logistical support in Mississippi uh, on the ground so as the devices arrive, we can manage that process here as smoothly as possible. Um, I was we were hearing from a lot of districts and talking to a lot of districts um, pretty much on a daily basis about this. And it's interesting to see that if from a district's perspective, they may be able to order 50 devices, 100 devices, 200 devices, and try and get that done. What we're trying to do is do that as a magnitude much higher. So we're ordering hundreds of thousands trying to make sure that we're supply chain to make sure we're getting all the devices um, so that the districts themselves are not challenged with trying to get leverage through a smaller, much smaller order that they may individually be placing with the vendors. So we're working on the supply chain. It's a major effort that we're doing, and again, it's an ongoing, continuous effort daily. So your department is working, trying, well, working with each district on the distribution and the ordering of those um, devices. 
Well, right, and also the, the vendors and then the, the supply chain partners. So talking to Google, talking to Intel, talking to mm-hmm. Microsoft, et cetera, talking to directly with Apple to make sure that we're doing everything we can to accelerate Mississippi's order, um, either by um, fast-tracking components, as I mentioned, air shipping the devices, mm-hmm. and having a smooth logistical implementation here to deploy the devices in the districts once they, once they arrive. All right. Well, John, you and I were talking earlier this week, and you made a good point. In a normal situation, if you're having technical issues with your computer, you just call your IT department and they walk over to your office. Now that that isn't the case right now, how difficult will it be for teachers and students to troubleshoot technical issues on their own? And how will that affect the learning process? And I'm sorry, part three to that is what's the best course of action for teachers, parents and students if they're having technical difficulties at home? Sure. So there's a couple of things specifically about the devices that we're being very careful about. Part of the design of the program itself is to think about this very question. What happens if there's a problem with the device, either because it's defective or something doesn't work the way it's supposed to work? Or, um, again, just life happens and, and devices are either damaged, broken, or lost. So part of the, the program that we've stood up, uh, again, with the EDLA resources, uh, is how to make sure that the devices are not only arriving, but that they're usable uh, throughout the next three years, next three school years, and uh, if there's a problem, that there's a minimal disruption to that. So part of the additional cost that is baked into the program relates to a couple things. One is extended warranty for the devices. So if there's a problem with the device, they will be backed up in, and, and um, protected by the, the manufacturer. The second thing we're doing is we're ensuring that all devices have a robust, what's called accidental damage protection, so if the thing is broken. So the warranty is that there's a problem with the unit itself. And then accidental damage protection covers that there's something that happens to the unit through the experience of that device with the kid in the home. And then the third piece is what is called on-site break, on-site break fix, which is that within 24 hours for all these devices that we're buying through this program, somebody will be arriving at the school to do two things. One is to take the device to fix it. And secondly, is to swap out a replacement unit so the student or the teacher can still continue working. So part of what, again, is part of the cost of this program is to ensure that, especially for districts that have um, do not have a, a very strong or a lot of um, manpower to deal with the technical side of their implementation of this program, that it is fully backed up and provided with a robust support so that, again, there's the least amount of downtime for each student and each teacher, and this is going to be maintained aggressively over the next three years so that this doesn't become a program that is strong at the start and then begins to thin out as devices wear out. So we'll be fixing, replacing, repairing devices in a very quick turnaround with very robust support to ensure that all students can continue learning and all teachers can continue teaching. So, John, it looks like um, eventually students will have all this technology. Uh, We'll be ready within our district, within districts across the state. So what does that mean for the future of K-12 education in Mississippi? Well, I think it means a lot of different things. Um, and really, there's there's really a lot of opportunity here. Part of what, and this goes back to even early remarks by uh, Governor Reeves when we first entered into the state of emergency, and that Dr. Wright has talked about often in, in public settings, including with the board and to districts directly, is how do we leverage this opportunity that this digital environment brings? So suddenly, um, and we've talked about this a lot over the years, at least the 20 years plus I've been in education, is that your zip code should not determine the quality of education you get. Mm. I'm sure you guys have had conversations about that on your show. And it's something that comes up a lot in Mississippi, at least in the two years plus that I've been here. 
And part of that thinking then is with this opportunity is what happens if I can use this digital learning program to strengthen what the schools can offer? So if right now a school does not have, um, and I believe that Tate Reeves used example of an AP chemistry teacher, if there just simply isn't one available in your school, how do we help the students who are interested in taking AP chemistry find other teachers in teaching other courses in other schools that we can remote into and take that course um, in the same way as a student would be taking them in their home district. So if you think about then is um, how to expand the capacity and availability of opportunity to our students. The digital learning, while certainly challenging in its own way because of students now studying at home, the positive side of that is that there's an opportunity for these students to take advantage of anything that's offered anywhere in the state and beyond. And so part of our goal will be is to not only to get the devices into the students' hands, to help the teachers grow in their capacity, but also leverage this virtual environment that is now available to all students in the state of Mississippi as these devices come online, is to then give them, open the world to them and offer them every possibility of finding the best classes, the best teachers, the best experiences, the best supplemental resources that will make the education for all of our students, wherever they live, whatever school they're enrolled in, the best chance to learn going into the future. You're right. All right. Well, John, before we um, get out of here with you, um, the Department of Education's website provides learning at home resources for districts. Has your department provided any technical at home resources that teachers or parents can use on your website? Uh, yes, I believe that there are several uh, different pages, um, and part of it, not from a technical perspective, in terms of the the website, obviously can't provide information about getting the device per se. But we can we are certainly sharing information about how to approach the technical challenges related to digital learning, and they are there for the schools and for the home uh, for parents. So yes, there are resources there, and as we begin to stand up this program and provide more opportunity for interaction between us, our our, our partners and the districts to work this through, that we're going to be increasingly and continuously putting up and updating information to help on the technical side, especially with the rollout and implementation of the EDLA. Well, John Craman, MDE's Chief Information Officer, thank you so much for spending our, your morning with us today here at Mississippi Education Connection. We hope and pray that this school year will start off on a good note and those devices do get to Mississippi and get in the hands of the students that need them. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for being here today with us. Well, it's time for us to take another break, and when we return, we'll welcome our next guest to the show, Ridgeland High School counselor Shamika Hawkins. Now, if your child is distance learning this fall, or will be, give us a call and tell us about your experience. The number is one 672 7464 Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Lotridge Anderson, the host of Money Talks and president of New Perspectives. I'd like to wish MPB a happy 50th anniversary. 
Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. The first question that we get when someone comes in is, how is the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library in Mississippi? Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We have every letter Grant ever wrote and every letter ever written to him. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, today we're discussing distance learning, what you should know. Now, before the break, we spoke with John Craman, Chief Information Officer with the Department of Education. Now, if you have a question or comment, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. Well, as school districts move to online learning, many teachers, parents, and students may never have attended an online class or even an academic discussion with others. Let's bring in our next guest now to discuss what teachers, parents, and students need to know about conducting and attending virtual classrooms. Let's welcome our guest, Shamika Hawkins. Good morning, Shamika. Good morning. Thank you for uh, spending a little time with us today. I know you're getting prepared or are you in the middle of school right now? We are preparing for our students. Okay, good deal. Well, before we get started about, of course, the do's and don'ts and how students and teachers and parents should act in virtual classrooms, tell us a little bit about you and um, your years in education. First, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to join the conversation this morning. It's my pleasure to be here. I have 23 years in education. I earned a bachelor's degree in biology from Alcorn State University. And after graduating from college, I took a year off for service through AmeriCorps. And it was during that time that I really developed a love for education. So I served as a middle school science and gifted teacher for nine years. Then later I went on to obtain my master's degree in guidance and counseling from Jackson State University. And so this year will begin my 14th year as a school counselor. I am a national certified counselor and a national certified school counselor. Wow. So you have a lot of experience in education. And could you ever imagine school in Mississippi looking like this? Never. (laughs) Never could have imagined. I know. If you were listening, we were talking to John. He is over the entire uh, technical department for the state of Mississippi. And, of course, they never imagined having to move to distance learning as well. So let's take us us back to March when the schools first closed. As a counselor and an educator, what what were your first thoughts? Well, for one, I knew we were entering uncharted territory, and I knew that it was a time to be innovative and creative uh, to implement some strategies for our students to be fully prepared for what was ahead. And and how did your school in particular adjust to the forced transition of distance learning? Because I'm sure it wasn't easy. I 
think we all adjusted really well. Everybody just jumped in and did what was necessary. Um, Mr. John mentioned about the technology and in some instances the inequity. And so we were able, we do, we are a one-to-one school, so most students had devices. Uh, the only issue is that some students, and not just in our school, but in, in all schools, there's an issue with Wi-Fi or Internet access. And so with our school and district as well, jumped in with packets of information for the students who did not have that access. So we all just band together and did what was necessary for for our students. Well, what was some of the things you learned during that um, first semester we had to shut the schools down as a counselor? As a counselor, I realized that, you know, it's important to be flexible and it's important to understand the need to reach every aspect of the student because Mm -hmm. with school not necessarily being in, we're used to seeing our students and um, being, you know, being able to look at them and see when they were having a uh, not so good day and be able to help them. And then the teachers were there to be able to, you know, let us know if there was issues that needed to be addressed. And so we had to find ways to reach them um, through email and, and through different other platforms to just make sure socially and emotionally they were well. Academically, they were good. The teachers were doing what was necessary to help them be successful, but we had to uh, implement some other things to make sure emotionally uh, that they were okay. Well, Shamika, we know that the teachers have gone through lots of training, professional development, and that's continuing. What type of training have, have, have you and other counselors gone through for this particular time? Well, I think in some sense, you know, we've been pre- preparing for this in, in essence. Um, we have district meetings throughout the state. Every school district uh, has meetings with counselor supervisors, and we meet and we talk about um, the tools and the things that are necessary for students. The only difference is we just had to move it to a digital platform. So we were still reaching out to our students. We were still, you know, contacting them statewide through emails, through, you know, through their parents, checking in with their parents, um, all of those things. Right. So what has your district decided to do as far as their reopening plan? For our reopening plan, we we are, you know, students who have the option of virtual as well as face-to-face. And those details are on our website. Okay, so they can can they do hybrid as well? Um, is that an option? No, just virtual or or face to face. All right. So at this time, I don't know when you guys open, but do you know how many students per se will be online and um, or in the classroom? Not at this time. All right. And um, you're a high school counselor, so you work with a particular grade level or um, all of the students. We work, we service our students alphabetically, so we have the privilege of working with them in grades 9 through 12 so that we have an opportunity to, you know, see their growth and be with them those four years. So, Shamika, this question is about preparation. Um, This is for high school students. They're preparing, particularly the seniors, they're preparing to go to um, out into the work world or go to um, higher education how do you see this impacting this year, having done being done virtually? Um, 
for a big piece of the year, probably. How do you see that affecting the support that you provide for them? I really don't see it having a major impact just because we will just have to transition and move our services for those that are virtual. You know, some students will will be seeing face-to-face, but even those that are virtual, uh, we have uh, software that we can meet with the parents and students. We still plan to offer, like, the informational parent meetings. It will just be virtual. Um, So we will still have those opportunities. Also, uh, we typically have college fairs, but those will be going to a virtual format. We're in the process of planning what that would look like. Uh, So students will still have access to those things. We just have to do it in a a different fashion. So what are some of the things that parents should do if their child will be attending school virtually? Let's, Let's start with the parents first. With the parents. Okay. Um, With the parents, I think the most important thing is to maintain structure and set expectations with your child. Um, And when I say maintaining structure, develop some type of schedule. For some school districts, a schedule has already been prepared uh, where students know what time they are to log on to particular classes. There may be some school districts where um, the expectation is to get the work complete and you devise your own schedule. So I would just say make sure if there is not a schedule in place, create one or follow the one that's been presented. Um, Also minimize the distractions in the home. Um, Make sure that your child has a quiet place to work on the assignments and also to be present during the live classes. Also have some expectations. We know we're in a digital age and our students love their phones and uh, the different apps. And so set some expectations with that as to, you know, when they can and cannot have that. Um, I would also say monitor your child's academic progress. Know what format your district has for reviewing your child's grades and make sure that you're, you know, consistent in checking in on that. And I would also suggest um, identifying some supplemental resources. Of course, the teachers are always available. Uh, Utilize their emails. A lot of teachers have office hours where they're not actually teaching at that time. They may be, you know, reviewing grade papers or so something of that nature. And so that's a good time to reach out to your child's uh, teacher if you're needing additional assistance, but also locate some resources or some apps that could be beneficial to help reinforce some concepts that maybe your child is, is struggling with. So those are just some of the things that I would say for parents. Now, you know, I have to go back to a few things, points you made. I want to start off with you're talking about a perfect world where a mom or dad or a single mom can actually do all of this. And I understand that um, this is the time we're living in and this is what we, the plate that we've been given. And for some parents, this is doable. But for some parents, this may be very, very challenging to uh, minimize distractions or uh, stay in contact with uh, the teachers and develop a strategic plan when Either the parent has to be on the assembly line at 7 a.m. and gets off at, you know, 3.30 or 4 o'clock and the child has to zoom in and be in the classroom all day. How what type of support are you? What would you say uh, the education is giving parents that really can't do those things? I think that um, for one 
as the parents, particularly those that are working in, in that situation, you know, it says it takes a village. So mm-hmm. I think that it, that is the time when you reach out to your village and, you know, the community, if you're involved in church. I know some churches are getting involved with that, um, particularly for parents who have issues with having to work and not being present. Um, reaching out to maybe some college students to assist in that. And also in terms of, you know, maintaining a schedule, you know, parents can implement some reward systems for those students. You know, if you're logging in and you're completing your assignments at the end of the week, maybe there's something that they've been looking forward to that you can reward them and make them start learning to become accountable for their education. I like that. I really like that. And you just gave me a tip. My daughter is a junior and she's doing completely digital learning, learning classroom. Uh, You know, we have to talk about this etiquette in classroom, virtual classroom etiquette and things that parents, teachers, and uh, and students should and should not do. But before we do that, uh, can you tell me a few things that students should know about virtual learning? Absolutely. For students, uh, definitely it's important to set some personal goals and, and not just generic you know, just saying, I want to make all A's this year. No, you know, set a time frame. Be specific about it. And make sure it's something attainable that you can do. So set some personal goals. Um, I would also say, which is really important, is just stay focused and stay positive. You know, this is this is new. Although we, we experienced this in the spring, I think with um, it, it's, it's there are different expectations with this now, and I say that you be positive, that that it will look different, mm-hmm. and that you will, you know, be able to accomplish that and what you set out to accomplish. I think that's really important and just being positive. But also I want to say, ask for help if you need help. That mm-hmm. is so important mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the teacher is not in a physical room with you to read your facial expressions, you know, or to see that you're just you know, not actively involved, they need the assistance as well for you to reach out to them and just say, hey, Ms. Jones, I'm, I'm struggling with this concept um, during your office hours. Would you mind, you know, assisting me? Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you they'll be more than willing to help. And, and, you know, Shamika, you, you said a lot, and we're going to talk about those distance learning etiquette um, tips. But one of those things you said was reaching out, not being afraid to speak up. If you're falling behind, if you're not understanding the concept, ask. And I noticed um, a lot, of, especially high school students, they're doing this for the first time this way. Because Jackson Public School, when you said a schedule, they have a strict schedule. Log in by 925 for homeroom. If it's after that, you're late. And each class, just like you're walking in the hall of the classroom, you're going to each class. They have a lunch break from 1230 and they start back up at 105. And you feel like you're in school. You're just not in the hallway. These students are not used to that. And and when you say speaking up and I'm falling behind or I need to ask a question, tell us about some of the tips and etiquette that these students need to know about virtual classrooms. Glad you asked that question. The very first thing I would say, the first tip would be dress for success. You know, there's a temptation. You're at home. You just got out of bed. You want to just get to class with your pajamas on. You want to be comfortable. 
But we want to dress appropriately, avoiding distractions, and you want to get up, comb your hair, brush your hair, do all the things that you would do if you were attending school traditionally. You want to feel and you want to look the part. So dress for success is, is a really good one. And um, I would say the next thing would be be on time. My grandfather used to say, if you're early, then you're on time. Mm -hmm. But if you're on time, then you're actually late. <laughs> so I encourage you to wake up early and log on a few minutes if possible so that you're ready, ready to start class. Uh, we kind of touched on a minute ago about being in a quiet place. Uh, it, as much as possible, just check your surroundings. Make sure it's a place that's not distracting for you. Um, you also, students, want to be prepared. Make sure your computer is fully charged, that your camera is on and ready, your workstation is equipped with all of your materials. Make sure that, you know, you have some headphones beside you if you need to put those in because you may not be in a position where you, you don't have to use them. You're right. Well, Shamika, I'm sorry. I don't want to cut you off, but I don't want to run out of time before okay. um, we just kind of get the bullet points of some of these um, tips that we will post on our podcast at mpbonline.org. So if you uh, want to get these tips again, you can. But mute yourself. That's a very, very important one. Make sure you mute your computer or your device while the teacher is talking and so everyone can hear what's going on in your house. How important right. actively protect participate. Um, Tuesday, when I was sitting with my daughter during her virtual day, the teacher was asking questions and no one said anything. She said, how is everyone doing? You know, and let's talk. You want what you want to know about me? And everyone was just silent. The teacher is there to help you guys and she can't have a classroom if no one responds. That's very important, isn't it? It's very important. And uh, I like how you said be prepared. Be prepared. Have your laptop and your tools and supplies that you need before you log in. Um, treat this just like you're going to school. If you go to school, you're going to have your backpack with all of your supplies you need. So just because you're at home in your bed, I want the students to understand that treat this and maybe visualize you getting up and going to the classroom. Absolutely. Now, in our last few minutes, what is some advice for teachers, students, and parents, and other counselors that you can give right now? I would say give grace. Give grace to yourself. Parents, give grace to your children. Just give grace overall. And I want to, we, we've addressed um, students and parents. I just want to say to teachers, first off, you know, everyone was thrust into to distance learning in the spring, but it looks completely different now with the onset of opportunities for training, there are additional expectations. And so it can have a tendency to feel overwhelming. But I think one thing that can help curb that anxiety is being really familiar with the software, the platform that you're using. And that will help build some confidence for you as well. And I also want to say this, teachers, it is very important that build rapport with, with the students. And it is kind of hard digitally, but it's possible. So start the lesson, not necessarily with content, but just checking in on the students, just seeing how they're doing. And if you notice something, please reach out to your, your school counselor. We are there to assist in any way possible. Thank you so much for those tips. I learned a lot today as a parent with a student um, um, going to digital school. Plus, I'm sure a lot of people listening learned a lot today as well. Thank you again, Shamika Hawkins, uh, for spending a little time with us today.
It was my pleasure. And you have a great school year. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, we've come to the end of another great show. We want to thank you for listening. And, of course, thank our guest, Department of Education Chief Information Officer John Craman and Ridgeland High School Counselor Shamika Hawkins for joining us today. This program is a production of MPB Think Radio in conjunction with MPB's Education Department and the Mississippi Department of Education. For Tara Wren, I'm Michelle McAdoo. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women and join us next Friday right here at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio.